honest conversation about games, life, and belief. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Drew Dixon. I'm the editor-in-chief of GameChurch.com, and I'm here with our managing editor, Richard Clark. Hey, Richard. Hey, Drew. I know how you are already. You do? (laughs) Because we already had a conversation before. How am I? You're doing uh, okay. You're getting over a sickness. That's right. How am I doing? You're doing all right. Okay. Decent. Decent. Um, Every week we have a special guest come on the show with us to talk about life, games, and belief. And this week we're joined by um, a a writer extraordinaire, game journalist extraordinaire, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Patrick Stafford. Hey, Patrick. Hi. I don't know if I would describe myself that way. (laughs) (laughs) How how would you describe yourself? Uh, Um guy who lives in australia <laughs> <laughs> oh you're so much more than that so uh where where would where would uh where would people you've written for a lot of like polygon and kotaku and where else might people find your writing yeah um i write for a couple of australian magazines uh hyper and pc power play hyper actually has been going for a long time uh like way back in the 90s um, so it's actually lasted a, a fairly long time, which is nice. Um, I've also written for Eurogamer. Uh, I've written one piece for The Atlantic, um, written a couple of pieces for Edge um, a while ago. So, you know, <coughs> all, all around, I guess. Yeah. All around, yeah. Cool, cool. Well, um, we wanted to have Patrick on the show because um, he's, I think, done some really interesting reporting about games um from some some really interesting angles so um excited to have you on the cast man i'm excited to talk about this stuff it's really good i think what you guys are doing is really is really great and to be honest like i'm surprised that you've been able to get some of the guests you've had and that they're able to talk about this stuff openly like i I would have thought that some people would say nah i don't really want to talk about that yeah it's really interesting we haven't gotten anyone who said no yet We've had mm. some people just not respond, which is fine. They're probably busy, or they just don't want to talk about that. But um, yeah, it's been it's been really surprising to see how willing people are to talk about it. And uh, yeah, we're we're with you. We were surprised. Yeah, um, I think it's like it's it's a confirming to me that there's this sort of general understanding or general assumption, I guess, by people today that nobody wants to talk about religion yeah. and belief and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I think our conversations with people have actually proven that that's not true. And I think maybe even that there, that people are looking for, I think are looking for a place where we can have those conversations in like a civil way. Yeah. I can think uh, of at least two people who said to us in response, Oh yeah, I, I'm excited. Like I, I want to talk about this. I have some stuff good. on my mind that I want to talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, uh, happens. Teddy Diefenbach, who we had on, Last week, um, he actually said, like, I'm excited about this because this will help me work out what I actually believe. It'll help me, <laughs> like, articulate it and think through it. And I thought that That's was good. interesting. That's good. Um, yeah. So uh, what we usually do in the first part of the cast is ask our guests about their beliefs about, you know, kind of 
what makes you tick and, and how you view the world and, and God and, and all those kinds of things. Um, so Patrick, um, w- tell me first, like what you grew up in Australia, right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, sort of. Um, I was born here and then I, when we, I was four, I moved to Alabama. Um, oh, my, my dad got a job over there. So we moved over there and I spent about five and a half years there in Birmingham and, uh, in, uh, Auburn. Auburn. Okay. Yeah. So we, we lived there for a while and I started school there. And so that was a big part of my upbringing. And then, uh, he got laid off and we came back when I was about 10 and that was 1997. So I've been back here ever since. So I, I speak like an Australian, but occasionally I have a a twang as, (laughs) as, as we call it. And my wife is American as well. So sometimes I pronounce words differently. So. Yeah. So, but yeah, m- m- the majority of my time has been spent here. Okay. Cool. And so, what was your like upbringing in terms of like religion and stuff? Mm, yeah. So, church-going family. Um. Yeah. You know, devout Christian family. Uh. Apart from that, um, it's interesting you say that because the dynamic has changed as the as I've gotten older as well. Mm-hmm. So in, when I was young, it was very much, you know, go to church, Sunday school, um, you know, discuss things at home, that sort of thing. But as I've gotten older, I've probably become more devout than the rest of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, my parents have, for one reason or another, stopped going to church. Although I think that's more to do with church than their beliefs, but that's another story. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah. So for as long as I can remember, you know, going to church and that spiritual community has been a huge part of my upbringing. Right. It didn't really, it didn't really click for me until I was um, in my sort of mid-teens. Okay, cool. So, um, so what would you say are like the the core beliefs? Your core, you know, your core beliefs of of, of what kind of motivates you? What, um, yeah, you know, what? Yeah, what are, yeah you you follow. <laughs> uh, I get I get what you're saying. Um, <laughs> So I would describe myself as uh, a Christian. Um, I guess you would call me an evangelical Christian, although I guess you can debate what evangelical means. Uh, so to be clear, Patrick, I need to be clear about this. You're sure you're one of us. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's okay. right. Just yeah. making sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I describe. And by one of uh, us, we just mean Patrick's also a Christian. Like Richard and I. Yeah. Oh, I thought I thought he meant one of the better people, um, but uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I would ascribe to the the main tenet of Christianity, which is that you know God exists. He is the one true God. You know, sent His Son Jesus, rose, uh, died, rose from the dead, all that sort of thing, uh, which I'm sure uh, most listeners are familiar with. Um, but I guess the I didn't really – it's interesting when you're in a Christian family because a lot of the time you take that for granted and you don't really understand what it is you believe or what you think you believe until you get older and you start actually realizing what the ramifications of those beliefs are. Yeah. Um, and uh, it can lead to sort of a blasé sort of, oh, yeah, I believe this, blah, blah, blah. And so it was only until I got to about 15 or 16 that I started actually taking it seriously and thinking, actually, you know, Christianity makes some pretty bold claims. You know, what do I think about them? And um, I uh, have mind. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm odd because I... <laughs> you guys will be familiar with this. People believe in Christianity for all, all sorts of different reasons. Or, or not just Christianity, but religion in general. Yeah. Um, and so you, you'll get have one group of people that say, I had this spiritual experience. And it convinced me beyond a doubt that, you know, God is real and Christianity is real and, and so on and so on. Um, I never really had that. I was more of, you know, I need to know historically if this is true or not. So I spent a lot of time reading, like, historical books and, like, actual, I guess you would call them apologetics, um, proving to me whether actually Jesus was a real person and what are the chances that he died and, you know, is there a logical explanation for him rising from the dead or you know, it's just a, a hoax or, or whatever. And so that was sort of my catalyst for, for learning more. And so I found this book by N.T. Wright called um, The Resurrection of the Son of God. And N.T. Wright is, um, he was the archbishop of something or other, but he uh, he's a phenomenal scholar and writer. And in this book, he basically lays out why it's, um, why it's historically most probable that, you know, Jesus Christ died and, and did rise again, which is a pretty controversial statement in itself. But, um, you know, I was, I, I read that book and I was already a believer, but when I read it, I was just convinced beyond a, a shadow of a doubt that it was true. And I guess that's, um, yeah, that's sort of informed my belief. So I'm a bit weird in that way because I rely more on historical argument rather than spiritual, exp- spiritual experience. But I don't know. That's just the way. Way I was made, but clearly because you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, you 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 acknowledge the possibility of miracles, miraculous. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. But I will say that sometimes my Christian friends get annoyed with me because I'll often <laughs> they'll like the, it's not it's not uncommon to hear in church and say like oh this miracle happened yeah. and people will say like oh praise God or whatever and I'll be like. Show me the proof and I'll believe it. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll sort of, uh, I guess I'm a doubting Thomas in that way. Yeah. Um, so did you, uh, like, did you read the N.T. Wright book and, and uh, pursue some of these, you know, historical, um, you know, some of this historical evidence because you went through a time, do you, have you ever gone through like a time of doubt where you felt like you really had to make sure these things were... Um, yeah, well, that's what true. started it. That's what started it when I was about 15 or 16. I sort of just sort of thought, what am I believing? I don't really know. And I wanted to have a historical basis for it. So that's what prompted me to read, you know, apologetics and books by historical scholars who argued in favor of Christianity or and against it. Um, I read a lot of stuff against it um, to sort of come up with, uh, I guess, a, a conclusion of my own. And um, I had made my decision by the time I had read the N.T. Wright book, but it sort of tied a bow on it, so yeah. to speak. Was your was you it, did you have any concern about like which of these things, like some people when they when they're thinking about what do they believe, they're thinking about what seems true, and then other people have this question of what seems um, more well, let's say right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I do. Yeah, I so, know exactly what you're talking Something that about, appeals yeah. to their sensibilities more. Um and sometimes I think it's in, in between. I mean, where would you fall on that scale? I've always from a young age, so I've always been interested in journalism and writing and mm-hmm. I've always been interested in truth. Yeah. Um 
I used to annoy my parents because I would ask them to, when I was a kid, I would always ask people like when they were like recounting a conversation to me or something, I would always say to them, right, you have to tell me exactly what that person said. (laughs) And they're like, what does it matter? And I'm like, just tell me, just tell me exactly what they said because I want to get the full context of whatever they were talking about. I was always like, I was always really into truth and no matter how it made me feel, I always wanted to know. Yeah. So when I was, that influenced my searching. So I didn't, I don't care if it was what I perceived as wrong or whatever. I, my priority was what is true. And then I'll be able to reconcile everything else after that. Cause yeah. that'll, that'll dictate, you know, how I approach it. So yeah, I know what you're talking about, but I don't really, I don't really care, I guess, about my own morality. I guess I, I care about what is, what is true. So and did then you, I'll, did you ever have a moment? I mean, so, so for me, like I had some, I had some moments in my life where I felt that God was being a jerk. Um, oh yeah, did you I still have, have that. Like I, like, I still do. Like I still wrestle with, you know, one of the pieces of the Bible that I wrestle with the most is in Romans, where Paul talks about, you know, vessels of destruction. Yeah. Which is basically for for anyone who isn't familiar with that passage, it's basically saying that, or, or at least it's interpreted by some people to say that God has predestined some people to go to heaven and he's also predestined some people to go to hell. That is, they are created for that purpose. Yeah. Um, and I sort of read that and I think, oh, God, like, how do I reconcile this? And I, it's probably the one I have the most trouble with. So, you know, I still have that. I still have that, um, that, that wrestle. But I guess the important thing is me wrestling with that scripture is not going to, to push me away from the church. Mm-hmm. Um, rather, the way my mind is wired is that I believe this is true, and so I will probably wrestle with that passage for the rest of my life. Yeah, but it's not. Go- but it's not going to make me say God's a jerk. I'm leaving the church. Yeah, it's going to make me say I need to warp my own understanding of of what this means. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. There's there's yeah. a, there's a real conflict happening these days between people. These, these established sides that I think are false. It's a false dichotomy, but the people who doubt and the people who believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I feel like th- there are people on both sides painting this war picture that doesn't exist. So the people who, quote unquote, the people who doubt, they're, they're saying the church doesn't let them do that, which is why I appreciate what you're saying, that you can doubt in the yeah. context of a church. That's a thing that is possible to do. Um, Absolutely, I, I don't understand how anyone could could. I don't anyone understand how anyone could say that you can't doubt within the context of a church because it's everywhere in the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's everywhere. It's filled with it, but it's not. You know, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. I was just thinking the other day about how, like, and this is something that's kind of a random thought, but if you look at a lot of the some of the most important like prophets in the Bible, these guys. I think suffered like serious depression. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah. Like yeah. you look at uh, Jeremiah, who was pretty upset at God and said, basically said, like, I'm only proclaiming the word of God because I have to, because yeah. God is forcing me to proclaim it. And then you have um, both Jonah and uh, Elijah, who got really upset at God for uh, showing mercy to various people and, uh, or for, you know, uh, and yeah. kind of both those, pro- I mean, Elijah is maybe the most 
sort of dynamic prophet in the Bible, but just went through a, a really serious time of, of, of deep spiritual depression. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, no, it's, it's kind of it's an interesting, there. yeah. Um, not, not equating doubt with, with, uh, I mean, I don't think doubt and depression are the same thing necessarily, but, but the point is, is that like, um, believing in God, I think doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you have this like, like, um, rosy sort of ability to like always accept everything the Bible says without, without wincing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand how anyone, I don't understand how anyone could approach it that way. Like I approach, I talk to some people who, and you've probably experienced this. You speak to some people in the church who will absolutely, uh, accept everything the Bible says 100%. Yay. Yay. Jesus. And proclaim it without, yeah. Proclaim it to the world as if it means nothing in a way. And you and you sort of look behind their their expression, and once you get to those people in a one on one context, like they're they're harboring some pretty serious doubts, mm, yeah, and some pretty serious thoughts about you know what they actually believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess part of church, church culture sometimes is that we have to put on a brave face, which is a bunch of crap. But you know that's a, another <laughs> discussion for another time, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So, um, what would you say about like how your um, like coming to that that place where you said, "Okay, this is true." Like, I believe that Jesus really. I, I I find this to be true. I can't believe anything other than Jesus rose again. He rose again from from the grave. So, how yeah. has that like that reality of that being true um, changed changed like the way you? change your life the way you approach work and those kinds of things it makes me it make first of all it gives me stability because i sort of reached a place where i i've reached a place where i understand that if i don't understand something um the problem is me and it's not the what i'm studying um which is i guess debatable in certain contexts and you can argue about this and that but um, I guess it gives me stability and uh, I guess a peace, mm-hmm. knowing that most of the problem is me if I'm failing to understand something. Um, in terms of my work, uh, I I haven't really had to thought, think about it until now, but it's um I guess one of the one of the things you see in Christian culture is this uh, trend of blind acceptance or blind faith um, yeah which i've always felt a real aversion against yeah um i got in trouble in high school because i went to a christian high school and i used to get in trouble because i would be asking like the the bible studies teacher like questions they they couldn't possibly know the answer to <laughs> um and sure. i would just be asking these questions and they were um actually the teacher was actually really good he sort of like took me outside after class one day and he said look it's great you're asking questions, but I don't know how to answer them. So you should read this and you should read this. Wow, really that's nice interesting. Um, we, which we is were, really good. We talked to uh, Kara Ellison a, a few weeks back and she was saying the same mm-hmm. thing, that she was she was this, the girl in Sunday school who was asking all these hard questions. And yeah. the, the teacher just kind of got annoyed and blew her off. Which is, Oh, that's sad. It's interesting to, to compare those two responses. Um, yeah. You know, obviously really... there's a lot of things that make us who we are, but <laughs> yeah, certainly that helps think... if a teacher is willing to engage in some way what you're asking. See, I think that's so unfortunate. I wonder if I, I, I have not spoken to, to Kara outside of Twitter, mm-hmm. um, but I, 
I wonder if the response had been a positive one, whether her outlook on life may have changed. Pro- maybe not, but at least it might have given her a positive experience rather than shutting her down. Right. Um, I mean, she really was sad. kind to the teacher. She said, you know, you can go listen to the podcast. I don't want to speak for her, but she did say, like, you know, the teacher was doing her best, but that there was, yeah. just, there was definitely no sense that she had followed up with her and kind of, you know, given yeah. those questions the time of day. So I think, I think it's, there's a sense in which a lot of, I think, you know, a lot of Sunday school teachers teaching kids big responsibility, you feel afraid of going down sure. the road and, mm-hmm. and you, you're scared you're going to mess something up. So you say nothing. And I think that actually can yeah. do more harm than good sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I Absolutely. wonder about that with myself a lot of times, like, like where I would be today mm-hmm. were it not for like people in my church, um, over the years that were willing to help me think through things and like answer really difficult questions that I was processing. Yeah. No, I totally agree. I think it's one of the, the really big things the church struggles with is when you have a 16 year old going like, I don't even know if I believe in God. Then everyone freaks out and says, you need to go to youth group more or whatever. (laughs) Instead of, (laughs) instead of just sitting down and just having discussion being like, you know what? Sometimes I struggle to believe in God and, you know, just, just, talk about it like it just it's really distressing but to get back to my point um i was i've always had this uh as i was saying before this yearning for truth and i guess that's what put me into journalism as well um and i've always i guess at the core of everything i've always wanted to be honest and if something is true then i want to i want to know about it um yeah and I guess that's that's one of the reasons I like the 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 book of Luke. Um, I call him the first journalist because you know at the start of the book he says you know many people have tried to undertake an account of what's happened, but this is mine. Hmm. And I sort of think, yeah, awesome. <laughs> you know, he's going <laughs> yeah. and interviewing people and 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 getting the story right. And so I guess one of the things that influenced me from a young age is wanting to know if something is true. And yeah. then if something is true, then I guess all the rest is is details. I feel like Christians struggle with this concept of truth a lot of times because it's it's so relegated yeah. to them to like a specific category and even it's like a specific tome, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. something that they don't want to talk about the uncomfortable truths or um I would I say they, I mean we. We don't want to talk about those things and a lot of times mm. I think we stray away from like thinking just about truths that don't seem relevant to Christian tenets. And so I've like, like, yeah. Patrick, I'm motivated by a very similar sort of thing in my writing. Like when I write, I want it to be as truthful as possible. That's really what I'm going for. And of course, I'm not a reporter. I don't go around like looking at facts so much as I do yeah. looking at like deeper, not deeper. That's kind of stupid way of putting it, but like, uh, more abstract metaphysical concerns and personal and emotional concerns. Um, And to me, like I've just seen over and over again. So I'll write an article that has nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with spirituality. I don't know why I'm writing it, but I'll write it. And a lot of times it'll be about a personal struggle. It'll be about, you know, whatever. And Drake. Yeah, exactly. It'll be about Drake Drake or something. (laughs) And I'll, uh, (laughs) Drake or Carly Rae Jepsen or something. 
Um, but <laughs> you know, at the end of it, I'll come out of it and I'll see, I'll see, uh, I don't know, just I'll have a feeling of why it was written. Like the, the truth that comes, comes out of something like that is that can actually be really valuable for other people to read. Yeah. Um, yeah. what I'm trying to say is that my writing is awesome. And <laughs> I'm realizing at the end of that spiel that this is just sounding like the giant unhumble brag, but no, no, I hear what you're saying now. And it's, um, yeah, I guess it's interesting though, that way I, I want to pick up on something you said before about, mm-hmm. um, how Christians perceive truth. It's interesting because a lot of the time Christians are so, uh, obsessed with saying, you know, Christianity is true. Christianity is true. But they don't really think about the ramifications of what that means. Yeah. And they don't really think about the ramifications of truth in general. So I'll have a conversation with someone like, I don't know, especially with things like science, right? So like you'll, uh, there was a scientific discovery last year. I can't remember what it was, but I was speaking with someone. Um, it, it had been, uh, replicated in a lab. So it was proven that yes, this thing is true. We can do this. And I was speaking with uh, a Christian friend and he was like, well, even if that is true, I'm like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> they just, they, like, they just proved it. Like, <clears throat> you, you, do you know what I mean? And so it, it, there's often a, a, a deflection of things like, oh, well, global warming can't be true, true, or the big bang theory can't be true, or, or, or whatever. And I, uh, Christians have this fluid relationship with truth. That certain things are true only when we want them to be. And if something's proven well, that doesn't fit within our worldview, well, then it can't possibly be true, can it? Whereas I said to, hopefully, I guess I take the, the more healthy view that if something is proven true, um, I need to think about that. And I need to think about, okay, well, how does, how do I reconcile that with, you know, my beliefs? Not that I think the Big Bang Theory has anything to do with, you know, <laughs> um, taking down Christianity or anything like that, but you know, that's just how I tend to tend to view life and religion and work and all sorts of things. I think uh, a lot of the the crux of this this conflict has to do with the fact that for at least for me as a Christian, the the first thing I look to, the first thing, the pri- sort of the priority. So I, I have how do I put this? I have a priority of truthfulness, and the most truthful most undebatable thing that I can find is going to be scripture, right? Yeah. And I think a yeah. lot of Christians obviously believe that clearly. And that means that everything else is going to be second rung, you know, under that on this pyramid. So, uh, everything is measured by that. And I think it, depending on how you interpret, uh, parts of scripture, it, it becomes, it's a real, and I, I would argue it should be a real, struggle to somehow suddenly reinterpret something just to fit the way a personal experience demonstrates something to be or how, uh, you know, science, even science like a, which is just another way of saying personal experience, right? Um, exhibits uh, something to be. Yeah. Yeah. So I we're think- getting really, I think we're being complex and weird at this point, but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, but, I'm, but, I'm trying to kind of make an apologetic for the people who balk at the idea of the Big Bang Theory. Because there are certain things in scripture that seem to fly in the face of that in certain ways at first glance. Well, yeah. Well, and I guess, I was, yeah. I was going to say, like, to what you were saying earlier, Patrick, uh, about, like, um, you know, that if something's tr- proven to be true, we should accept it. Like, I think 
it's interesting because I think like scripture kind of opens itself up to that sort of criticism in a way. Like when Paul says in in First Corinthians, he says, you know, if if, it, if you can prove to me that that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then like, hey, we're done. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in a sense, I mean, I think that I, I think that's a that's an attitude that we would do well to think more about like what the implications of that would be, what, what they just, would look like, you know? I'll just go back to Thomas. You know, people, people talk about doubting Thomas and they put him down so much. What people don't, what people forget about is that, um, <laughs> he, Thomas said, until you show me the scars and the holes in Jesus' hand, I won't believe he's resurrected. Jesus comes and says, you know, look at my hands. This is me. And then he believes. He doesn't say, "Oh, show me more evidence." Yeah, he says, yeah. "He says he believes," and I think a lot of people forget that part of the story that that he wasn't just saying it to be an idiot yeah. or to be con- con- you know contrarian. Yeah, he was legitimately saying, "Look, if you show me, I will believe." Um, but you know, I think there are people who, uh, which also makes that- <laughs> which also makes you wonder about like why God doesn't show Himself in that way to more people. Well, it's, it goes, you know I what was I mean? just thinking, like, I was just thinking. Some, who was it that was on the other day? Um, Alan Williamson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was like, you know, if Jesus was like, hey, I'm real, <laughs> you know, spoke Believe, from right. the heavens, Alan was like, well then, all right, you know, I will, ble- I'll, blessed are those I'll go with who, you then. <laughs> yeah, but you know, blessed are those who, who do not see and believe, right? I mean, I guess that's the whole, con- the whole conflict there. Yeah. Which, I, I still struggle with at times because I'll I'll sit in, I'll sit in church and I say like you know this miracle happened and people will be like clapping and stuff and I'll be thinking sitting there thinking there is absolutely no way that happened <laughs> like, <laughs> there is absolutely no way that could have happened and you you've all been fooled. Um, what kind of church but, do you, you go know, to? I'm well, I guess it's a it's the the denomination is Baptist, um, okay. so it's part of the um, the Baptist Church organization in Australia, but uh, you know. It's um not the Baptists that you would associate with like America. Okay. Um but uh you know. It's cooler than the Baptists in America. Oh like cooler accents. Hell sure. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah. Now we um we all sound like uh what's his name from Hillsong? Baptists in America yeah. sound dumb. Take yeah. it from really? me. Take it from me a Baptist in America. <laughs> <laughs> we sound a real southern and so everybody just thinks we're dumb all the time yeah but y'all are so friendly so well we try what has happened to this conversation <laughs> let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about christian video games okay sure The Game Church Podcast is sponsored by Christ and Pop Culture, which exists to acknowledge, appreciate, and think rightly about the common knowledge of our age through thoughtful, long-form articles, challenging blog posts, and a beautifully illustrated bi-weekly online magazine at ChristandPopCulture.com. You can also check out the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast in iTunes to hear our talented contributors reflect on the latest in pop culture three times a week. So, Patrick, you wrote an article about this for Polygon. It was called Higher Calling, the new, uh, let me see, Higher Calling. I hear those clicks in the back. (laughs) The new gospel of Christian games. Yeah. So, um, so this is, I thought this was a really well researched article, really interesting article. Yeah. Um, 
kind of you looked at what is the state of Christian video games. There are guys out there who are professing Christians and they're making video games and historically they haven't been very good. Um, that was part of your article. Uh, do you think that's changing or do you think what, what's the, what's the current state of Christian video game <laughs> development? Um, so before I talk about that, I should say that this story, um, was actually pretty, um, impacting for me. I actually had a nervous breakdown while writing this story. <laughs> wow. Um, oh, wow. I, cause when I pitched it to Polygon, uh, I said, you know, this is the story. And they said, um, yep, but you need to do it within two weeks. Um, so I interviewed everyone in one day for this story. I like, oh, yeah. uh, I got up, I got up at six in the morning and like I staggered the interview. So I did one an hour for like 10 or 12 hours. Um, and then I spent a bunch of time writing it. Um, and one of the interviewees in the story is Ryan Green, um, who, uh, some people may know him, but he's making this game about his son who has cancer. And, uh, at the time his son was still alive. Unfortunately, he's passed away now. Um, but, uh, it was a pretty emotionally, like I was exhausted during that two weeks because I, you know, worked a full time job as well. I would come home and write. I was doing other things and it was just ugh, too much for me at one point. Um, but, um, that being said, I loved writing it because I got to have a look into, you know, what people were doing with these types of games. And I think the state of Christian games right now, um, is, uh, whatever Christian games there are, they're getting better, yeah. but there still hasn't been a resurgence of, I guess, games that are spreading the Christian message in any sort of, um, like compelling artistic way. way. Yeah, in a yeah. compelling way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the closest is, is Ryan Green's project. Yeah. Um, that dragon cancer. Um, because you'll see, you, you, you'll see the writing on it. Like everyone who plays it comes away affected. Um, yeah. like they've had people go, come and play that game for 10 minutes and they'll walk away crying. Like mm-hmm. that's how, you know, impacting it is. So I think that's the, that's the, um, the closest we're getting. Um, but it's not that they're, the, the number of Christian video games, you know, like Bible Blasters or Bible Man, like those sort of seem to have gone away. Yeah. Um, and what we're sort of left with is this gap. And I think there's a good opportunity for people to come and do some really interesting stuff in, in the wake of, you know, that Dragon Cancer and a few other projects as well. Don't forget about but the I, failed Kickstarters. Oh, yeah. We have Oh, those. there's been, we, there's been a couple <laughs> of failed Kickstarters, but I think one of the other things is, one of the other points is that in the, in the story is that, um, it's not just about, you know, making explicitly Christian games. It's just yeah. being a part of the industry as well and just doing your own thing. I think it was, I can't remember who said this quote. Um, I think it was either Martin Luther or John Calvin or someone, but someone said to this person, you know, you know, what must I do to be a good Christian shoemaker? <laughs> and, um, the person who's quoted is replied, uh, make good shoes. Yeah. So there's an element of, you know, Christians in the industry don't necessarily need to, you know, make the game that converts everybody, but rather they need to work at Activision and be, you know, I guess be the resident Christian there and, um, you know, share the gospel that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so do you, I think, and it's interesting to me too, like I would say there are like more, I've played more games that have made me think more about what I believe. I certainly played way more games that have 
made me think more about what I believe that are made by non-Christian folks. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and, and part of that's just the fact that <laughs> there's so few, like, games that I would want to play that have been made by Christians. But um, yeah. w- what what are some games you've played? I'm just would be sort of curious. What are some games you've played that have made you think about your beliefs, that have sort of oh. made you think about, like, think more deeply about your worldview as a Christian? One of the most spiritual games I've ever played is Journey. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think is uh, probably, like, <laughs> such a great allegory for the Christian faith. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're wandering in this land. You have no idea what you're doing. You have people, you know, monsters trying to attack you. And but you don't end, really understand. Yeah, you don't really understand. And there's and there's um, moments of beauty and wonder and frustration and and awe, and then there's this final struggle to get in this, you know, this world, and I don't know, that made me think about Christianity quite a lot, and um, I'm not sure, I'm I'm pretty sure they tried to evoke some sort of religious iconography in that game, not explicitly Christian, Um, but that's definitely something that got me thinking. Um, Yeah, and I think too, like, the whole, um, the whole partnership element of that game where you're placed into this world with another player that you don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of have to work through like, am I going to trust this person? Does this person really have my best interest in mind? Like, yeah. Um, that not whole... being able to communicate. I think that's the big thing as well, because yeah. so many, so many times, like in a, even in a church, you'll have so many dissenting voices and yet you all have to contribute to this one goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yet, a lot of time you'll be speaking different languages, so you might as well be. Yeah. yeah. So that's one of the things that I... That is a really uh-huh. interesting point. Like, the, there's something unique to, like, wandering into a church, and you just, like, there's other people that happen to wander into that same church, and that's, like, what you have in common. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Exactly. And and this comes out not only in, in time hundred members of a church, you will have like 120 different opinions. Like it's, it's, <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and so you're often speaking and you'll often have different views on theology and beliefs, but you do have this one thing in common and it can often be really, really difficult. And and like I'm struck by what happened in Journey. Like you'll sometimes meet people and then they'll leave. You know, <laughs> they can't communicate yeah. with you or you're, you're, not, you're not really gelling and then they'll just leave or you'll leave. Oh, man. And so you sort of think, you know. Now I'm comparing Journey to like being a part of a local church and it's crazy deep. Well, this is what I, this is what I, (laughs) well, this is what my original thought when I first played it. I don't know why I didn't write anything about it, but it basically is because like I was playing the game and I was like talking with someone and they were, um, you know, we were sort of bouncing around each other and having fun and then they left and I'm like, why did you leave? And I'm like, I just, I thought back to like times I've been in a church where like a, a really great pastor has left or, um, someone I've really, you know, really, really loved has left. Yeah. Um, or even when my family, when my family left Alabama and we went back home. Um, and so you sort of think, well, you know, people are just there. There sometimes they leave because of, uh, because of malicious, you know, reasonings or, Sometimes they just leave and they have to go off and do their own thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Journey can be looked at in so many different ways. That's why it's such a great game. Mm. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely one that made me think a lot about spirituality and religion in general. So when I was reading your article, um, way back when, I, uh, I have this frustration about 
some things. And I will say, I don't know if it's fair to have this frustration, or at least to direct this frustration at anyone in particular, but there were some developers that were like, you know, I'm just making like a cool game, um, and it's, yeah. I just want it to be fun. And that frustrated me only because there are, because of all these other games that are being made by so many people that are about faith, that are about belief, and they're yeah. really <clears throat> profound and beautiful. And I'm, I'm just what I'm just like waiting for Christians to be like, we got stuff to say about faith and belief. And yeah. there it goes. Like I, I just, I'm waiting for a, a bunch of Ryan Green and Josh Larson's to just pop up. Yeah, everywhere. exactly. And then you have a couple of other people who are just saying like, Oh, I'm just doing my own thing. Yeah. I'm just making a game. And it's like, they're uh, like, it's not, you know, it's not my thing to be all deep and stuff. And, it's not remotely fair of me to be like, well, you have to. Because <laughs> that game would suck. Like, if you're not, you yeah. know, uh, yeah. interested in doing that, then great, make a fun game, and it'll be cool. But, um, yeah, I just wish I could make games sometimes. I should do perhaps there's, or something. Perhaps there's a little bit of a blasé nature um, among some developers. And you're right, like, sometimes it's um, uh, sometimes it's because they don't really know what they're doing. But to be honest, like... Um, I've sometimes felt that way about my own skill, which is writing. Mm, yeah. I've sort of thought, okay, it's like I do all this, but what have I done within the church with my writing? Yeah. Not much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I can't necessarily be too accusatory. Um, but I, I get the, I get the frustration there because you sort of think, well, you've got such great potential, you know, yeah. you know, why don't, why don't you do something with it? You know, we don't really need another Bible man game. Yeah, well, and I guess I think about it not just in that sense, too, but I also think about it in the sense of, like, we don't need another, like, um, you know, we don't need another match three time waster. We don't need another puzzle platformer. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I agree with that, except that sometimes I don't. Like, sometimes we get those things and they're cool. You know what I mean? Sure. And that's the struggle oh, it's for me. Time for everything. It's, it's so maddening because I find myself arguing with myself all the time like this could just be so much better but then sometimes it's just fun to play with other you know other people and but this goes this is such a sort of thing this is such a larger conversation that goes beyond video games and to an an even an evangelical dilution of art and culture in general Mm -hmm. you look a few hundred years ago and handle is creating messiah one of the most beautiful pieces of music in history um, you know, Michelangelo's David, uh, all sorts of great art. What have we made? We make seven eleven songs at Hillsong, which are the same <laughs> seven, the same seven words sung eleven times over. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, we do not value high art in the way that we used to because evangelicals as a whole view art as a tool, as a tool for conversion. And that's one of the things I talk about in the in the story. The reason people get upset at Noah isn't because it's changed. It's because they don't think they can make Christians from it, not because it's a great piece of art. I interviewed um, uh, Jars of Clay earlier this year, and I've got an interview with them going up on Christianity Today in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. one, of the point, one of the points they make is that it's hard now to make music in the Christian scene, not just because of things that are happening with technology and so on and piracy, but because people don't value music as much as they used to because they like people will ask them, what do your songs mean? And they'll say, well, we don't know. What do you want them to mean? 
And a lot of Christians don't want that. They want it to mean like this song is about this or this song is about this. They don't want to hear this song is about, you know, uh, grief and depression and what happens when you die. You know what I mean? They want it to be, pos- <laughs> they want it to be positive and uplifting. And certainly that dragon cancer isn't positive and uplifting, but I would argue it's more valuable than 90% of everything on Christian radio. Yeah. So there's a really big disconnect, not just in video games, but just evangelical culture. And we need to, I think we need to move back to creating art that is not evangelical in nature, but represents the many na- values and natures of God. I've tried to get a Christmas play off the ground for a long time now, um, but won't happen because I'll sort of give the idea for it. And as someone at a church will say, well, you know, it doesn't really wrap everything in a nice, neat little package. And that's why we can't do it. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a need for that in Christianity that I think sort of deeper video game ex- experiences can't provide yet. And so I get the frustration there because it's sort of like, yeah, we, you know, there's a really big demand here. And if Christian video game makers stepped up and created, you know, really great experiences, people would respond. But, you know, sorry for the rant. <laughs> oh, yeah. I agree with all that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, Rich, is there a game that sticks out to you as a game that sort of made you think pretty deeply about like your worldview as a Christian? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, El Shaddai. El Shaddai again. <laughs> El Shaddai. I've talked like a million times about that game on various outlets, but El Shaddai is the one that made me seriously think through. Uh, that helped walk me through, uh, in a literal sense, my doubt at a time when things were really difficult. Um, uh, let's see, what's another one? Um, Knit Underground is kind of a nice, kind of low key, un, low stakes sort of, uh, exploration of like everyday mundane struggles. Yeah. That, mm-hmm. uh, that I, I love that game. Like, I need to start playing that game, like, as a, I, I remember at one point I thought of that game as like an advent game because you could play it huh. like a little bit at a time for several mm. days in a row and like kind of gain something new from it every time. Um, I think I just got horribly lost in that world. Yeah. And like maybe, happen. maybe 15 minutes, 20 minutes in or something. Oh, and I, I don't think I ever picked it back. You gotta up go again. back. You gotta go yeah. back. Well, I have, have it on, go back. I have it on PlayStation Vita now, so. Do it, man. Do it. It will be the best like thing a... you ever did is to play through that game. Um, I still haven't finished it, but it's, it, no <laughs> one strong has. words. It's huge. Have it I... takes forever. And so it'll, t- it's like, the, it's like a Bible. Like you can just work on finishing it your entire life. Yeah. Have either of you played, um, Antichamber? Yes. Yeah, I played it. I didn't like it very much. <laughs> that, that I, l- really, I liked it. That really spoke to me in a religious context. Huh. Um, because I just got, so lost and so frustrated. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, if you play mm-hmm. when you're playing the game, you're walking around and they give you clues, but it doesn't tell you what to do. Yeah. It'll just give you a clue. And so you'll be doing the same thing over and over again and you'll get lost. And I just got so frustrated and I related to it because just in terms of Christian walk, um, or living out a Christian life, because often you don't know what to do and you're yeah. given and the Bible often speaks in riddles. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I actually got to talk to Alexander Bruce, the guy who made that game. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. At GDC, and uh, cool. Yeah, and he um, so because 
I, I wrote an article about Antichamber where I talked about how um, I think like that's a game. I think it really does illustrate some, or, or it spoke to me as a Christian as well because it really does force you to ha- trust the creator of the game. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Those, those hints, some of them are kind of misleading, and there's some of them that even kind of ticked me off. Um, yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think we live in a world that sometimes, like the signs around us and the way the world works, kind of ticks us off, and it doesn't make sense. But like, yeah. you yeah. eventually have to learn that that you know the one who made this world, even in the case of Andy Chamber, the one who made this digital world, like knows better than you do, and so you have to trust those little hints and those little tidbits that he gives you. And and actually, I think he so at GDC he talked about how how like how much he processed those little hints and how much thought he put into them and how um, careful he had to be about the way he did those things. But like you learn in that game, you've got to trust those hints he's giving you or else you won't, you won't get far at all. Um, which I think is a really interesting, um, you know, uh, an interesting thing. Um, one of the games related that, the, uh, Oh, sorry, go on. Oh no, I was just going to say, I was going to give an example cause you guys got to give examples, but <laughs> No, please, no, go on. Uh, you, I was going to say, um, one of the games that sticks out to me, that's maybe kind of an obvious one because of the subject nature, but The Binding of Isaac, have you guys played that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting to me because I think I think a lot of people probably play that and they're like, oh, well, it's just like a, you know, it's just like a Legend of Zelda-themed kind of like roguelike, you know. It's just a roguelike. But um, the things you find in that game as you continue to play it, sort of tell a really like disturbing story of abuse, you know? Oh, yeah. Um so anyway, it was a game that sort of forced me to grapple with that story, the binding of Isaac story in the Bible, um, in an interesting way. Just like um kind of like it made me grapple with the utter holiness of God. In a way, I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, but. that's interesting because with the Binding of Isaac, I just kind of separated it from true religion. I guess I would say, like, sure, clearly it's about religion in a sense, right? It's about religion gone off the rails and religious extremism and that sort of thing. Uh, and I kind of internalized that idea, but I ne- I never, I never thought of it as a truly religious game. If that makes sense. Sure. Well, yeah, and I think that's fair. I I guess for me it just but I guess it made me think about those things because there's this there's a lot of people in the world who look at that story and they say like that's that's child abuse like that's like the story of God calling um Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the altar it's oh, right, just like yeah. you know and so anyway it just made me sort of have to like confront that idea in yeah. a way and yeah. then like like think about what God was really asking him to do, which is really kind of horrific. Yeah. By the way, there's a huge thunderstorm happening here. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but <laughs> I've heard yeah. a little bit of it. I felt like I should just acknowledge it. <laughs> one, of the, <laughs> one of the <laughs> a little bit dramatic. Um, I really enjoyed speaking with Edmund McMillan, who created the Binding of Isaac for that Polygon story. Um, and he talks a little bit of it, about, a little bit about his history with religion and and that sort of thing in the piece. And I think it's interesting that one of the most fascinating games on religion is made by someone who's had such a negative experience. And I just wonder if he'd had a positive experience, like how, yeah, how much better it could have been. 
But, yeah. you know, he's an extremely talented guy. Extremely talented. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, we've enjoyed having you on the cast, man. Uh, Thank you. This has been really good. I really enjoy talking about this sort of stuff. Um, and it's good that this is a, a platform to talk about it. And um, I'm sorry if I wasn't as insightful as some of your other guests, but <laughs> I tried. I tried. No, no, it was great. It was great. Yeah, we enjoyed it, Patrick. Yeah, Thank for you. sure. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening to the Game Church Podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please spread the word on Twitter, Facebook, and especially on iTunes by rating and reviewing us. Please rate and review us because if you do, we could break into the top 10 on iTunes, which would be amazing because we're, I think, at like 19 right now um, at the moment in which we're we're recording this anyway. Yeah, it fluctuates literally every like five minutes, and it's driving me nuts. I'm looking it up right now. Um, We've dropped quite a bit. We've dropped oh, dang. quite a bit. Okay, so go rate and review us right now. Hurry! Um, <laughs> you can send us uh, feedback or questions at drew at gamechurch.com. Uh, check out the great articles and more at Game Church, uh, about gamechurch at gamechurch.com. To join the Game Church community, search for Game Church City. On Facebook, and I also want to mention that our podcast producer is Cray Allred. <coughs> Check out his po- his podcast <laughs> Sunday Old School with a K, uh, Old School with a K, where love of Jesus informs a love of hip hop. I was wrong. We are actually what? at number eighteen now. Oh, nice! Right under Boop. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> well, uh, rate and review. Rate and review. Rate and review. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha.